0: Welcome to Tea and Murder, part book club, part interview show, all Agatha Christie. I'm your host, Rebecca Tundey-Norman, and I'm here today with Michael Brown, creative director and all-around internet goon who famously started his career pretending to be the voice of the millennial woman on Twitter. His only accolades are that Millie Bobby Brown complimented his eyebrows and Meghan Markle once inquired about his mental health. You're not special, she asked about mine, too. He is currently working as the creative director for Serena Kerrigan and her brand Let's Fucking Date. Hi, Michael. Hi. That is quite oh, an wait. intro. Did, I mean,
1: did Meghan Markle also inquire about your mental health?
0: I feel like she's asking everybody.
1: Oh, she does do that now, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah.
0: Oh, her and Kate are kind of competing it about that. It, yeah. They're competing. Oh, there is enough mental health to go around for everybody. I don't think so. You don't I, think so? Only
1: one princess per mental health
0: cause. They all have to, like, pick their cause and just stick with it? Yeah. Okay.
1: You know what? But here's I was the first person that Meghan Markle ever was concerned about mental health That That
0: is so kind. <laughs> so. That's so kind of her.
1: I, I think so too, and I mean, I was taken aback, but I was like, "All right, I I was acting crazy, so maybe."
0: Yeah, so like I mean, t- tell me more. You need to, I think, share the story of Meghan Merkel. Oh, your so humor, I, if you feel comfortable.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I I used to interview celebrities at my last job or one of my jobs, and um, one summer Meghan Markle was rolling through for the promotion of season six of Suits, which. It's a show I've never seen before because I'm not a fifty-year-old in the Midwest. Um, but her, uh, I, I remember her publicist emailed me and was like, "Hey, FY, please don't ask anything about her relationship." And I was like, I Googled. i was like, she got divorced three years ago. Why would I? And who's Meghan Markle? Who, why would I? And apparently, she was secretly dating Harry at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I didn't find out till like, two months later when it came out. But it was, like, an – it was a solid interview. She was super nice. But, like, I – sometimes when I interviewed celebrities, I would get, like, really bored. Just, like, what are we going to do here? Like, we're live. You're live on Facebook. I was like, Okay, like, how do I make, make this exciting? I, I think I just, like, kept getting crazier and crazier with my questions. <laughs> like kept getting darker and darker. Wow. I think, like – yeah, one of the questions, like, like – That really took her back. I was, like, talking about, like, a suits drinking game and started talking about, like, suits fans drinking too much and ending up in the hospital. Some, like, something truly awful. And to be fair, she laughed. But afterwards, you know, as we're rapping, she was super nice, super kind. She she said, like, you know, this is the best interview I've had all day. And I was like, this is her first interview today. (laughs) So (laughs) she didn't lie. But then she was like, hey, I just want to make sure, like, do you have somebody that you can talk to? And she meant it super sincerely, super sincere. Like she looked at me with the eyes of a woman who like knew she was going to be a princess (laughs) in like four months. And like, this was like her first act of like goodwill. This was her first Diana moment. And I, wow,
0: you were there for the first Diana moment. I know. I know. That's beautiful. Beautiful in its way. And, um, yeah, that's really something you can take with you forever, I feel.
1: I think so. And if I ever run into Megan again, like, I will tell her, yes, I am now in therapy
0: and I'm doing <laughs> yeah. <that> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about just, like, shooting her a note or, like, her publicist? Just, like, um, probably she has yeah. a different publicist these days. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Like, I, I don't
1: think the woman from the USA Network is still <laughs> working
0: for her. You know what? Some people, once they find their team, it's like, I'm loyal. I'm loyal to my team. That's
1: very true. Yeah. That is so true. And I think okay. she w- She Maybe. might be one of
0: those people. She could be one of those people, I think. I think so. Yeah. And she might remember me. We'll see. <laughs> After that interview, it sounds like she's not – she's going to have a hard time forgetting.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's on my Twitter. Like, half of it is on my Twitter. And I, the whole time, she's just like, is this person okay? I'm like, no, I'm not.
0: <laughs> At least you're honest. I think that's the important that's thing. That's true. Yeah. Um, I agree. So – Agatha Christie (laughs) after that let's get into it um now you had not read an Agatha Christie before reading Death on the Nile is that correct I had not okay are you would you now consider yourself an Agatha Christie fan
1: I think so like honestly it kind of made me like because I was already obsessed with the movie which I know we're going to get into at some point um but after reading the book I was like, who? This woman, like, very sassy in her prose. Mm. And I was like, I kind of I kind of am curious about reading more, especially because, I, you know, I love the movie. I have my qualms about the movie. I did enjoy the book more, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is hard for me because I do sincerely love the movie so much.
0: I know. And we will talk about it. Now, you just said her prose was sassy. Say more about that.
1: I just felt that, like, there was this air of, like, Sassiness and in on like the book had a certain kind of humor that the movie didn't. Where the movie's humorous, but her writing is just humorous. Yeah, and like you know, like she's in on the joke and like there's I felt like there were a lot of winks to me personally. I was like, oh, okay, like I know this book is from you know forever ago, but (laughs) like okay, this this part this part like is appealing to my sense of humor. In 2022, there's got to be some. There, there must be more to this woman than just being the based on an Agatha Christie novel in the 2022 movie Death on the Nile*.
0: That, and that there is so much more. I think that's so interesting because I, I do think that her sense of humor is actually really underrated. What do you think it is about her sense of humor that caught you? Is it, dry, is it the dry wit? Is it like the banter? What I, was it?
1: I think it has to be the dry wit, and just like she captures like an irreverence of characters that I don't think very many authors can. And it's so subtle that it's so different between each character, like between like, Corot and Jackie, like where I was like, oh, like there's there's nuance to how kind of not crazy. I just like, you know irreverent these characters are and like their, their own little sense of humor that I was like oh okay this is this woman does characters very well and everyone was very alive to me and I, I I loved that
0: yeah I completely agree and I it's one of my favorite elements of Agatha Christie is how she develops character and Poirot who is one of her most beloved characters of all time arrived as a full character When he arrived in his first book, he was the exact same character you're reading in Death on the Nile. And that's a really incredibly hard thing to do, I think, as a writer. And she gives him such incredible pathos, such incredible sense of humor, as you say. He has a voice, uh, and his voice is subtle and subtly different to anyone else's voice. As you say, she's able to kind of just with little turns of language, she makes you know who's speaking at any given time. Um, so I think that's really cool that you picked up on that from the first book, and it's not the first Poirot book. So you know you kind of are coming in to a character oh. who's been developed for a long time and picking that up immediately. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about her is you can pick up any book, and it's like the first book. It doesn't have to. be – You don't have to start from the beginning.
1: And I, I do love that. And I, like I felt like there were some references to maybe past cases that were also books. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like maybe I kind of want to know about this one. Like obviously I. They did mention Murder on the Orient Express, mm-hmm. um, like, by name. Yeah. But I think there were a few other cases or a few other, like, little moments of past cases that are like, oh, that kind of sounds interesting. I want to know a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, there's a the, one of the ones they mention is another of my favorites, actually, which is called Cards on the Table. And it's the first book in which he meets Colonel Race. And Colonel Race is kind of this, like... MI6, CIA, going, dashing around the world, saving people from revolutions type of guy. He appears in a bunch of different books. But the first one he appears in is called Cards on the Table. And it's it's like the original Bottle episode. I think it's four or five people who are in a room with a man who ends up dead and nobody left the room. And so Colonel Race and Poirot and one other person, an inspector, have to figure out who did it based on just the psychology of the people in the room. Um, so it's a really great book, and I really recommend it.
1: That sounds like a very like intense thought study. i just had to have a book, like a 200-page book, take place in one room. There's only like 12 feet to move around, so it must be like a lot of dialogue, which she's obviously great at.
0: Yes, it's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of psychology, and it's a lot of twists. It's a fun one. I, I really uh, do I, recommend it.
1: I will say... The fact that racist in the movie is criminal. Now that I've
0: read the book, <laughs> yes, I totally agree. So let's talk a little bit about the book and the film. So the film, yeah, Death on the Nile, twenty twenty two. I'm just going to do before we get into that a little bit of like an intro on Death on the Nile in general, so people have some background. So Death on the Nile was published in 1937, right after Dumb Witness and before An Appointment with Death and Murder in the Muse, which are all Poirot books, so she was like on a Poirot kick at this point in her career. Much of the scenery was taken from her own trip to Egypt with her first husband, Archie Christie, and Agatha Christie adapted it for the stage and renamed it Hidden Horizons. Uh, And she actually removed Poirot from that play because she felt like he drew too much attention on the stage. It was then called Murder on the Nile in uh, subsequent stage runs of that same play both in New York and in London. It was adapted into film for the first time in 1978 by Anthony Schaefer, who adapted quite a number of Christie's to film, including other Poirots, Evil Under the Sun and An Appointment with Death. Um, and he's, he does them really beautifully. He was a wonderful writer. Um, and the 1978 version stars Peter Ustinov in his first outing as Poirot. He subsequently played Poirot many times very well. And Mia Farrow was Jacqueline de Belfort. Um, Lois Childs was Lynette Ridgeway. It was also Betty Davis, Angela Lansbury, George Kennedy, Maggie Smith. Um, It was like a real all-star type of cast. And um, I do recommend seeing it if you like the book, if you did or did not like the 2022 version. It's a very glamorous, um, star-studded, like maybe a little bit more grounded in reality and in the text of the book type of film. Uh, and then it was also adapted for ITV's Poirot with David Suchet, of course, uh, which we love as Poirot. And uh, Emily Blunt was Lynette Ridgeway in that one. So that's a really fun one to see as well. Um, Death on the Nile is one of Agatha Christie's most popular books of all time. And it's very much the archetype, or has become the archetype for her kind of like a broad, on a boat style mystery. She has a bunch of books that are on boats. Um, Poirot is on a lot of them and he hates being on boats which I think is like her way of irritating him constantly because he gets sick on boats so that is the background of the book and of the film and the 2022 version was uh, directed by Kenneth Branagh and stars Gal Gadot as Lynette Ridgway Kenneth Branagh as Poirot and uh, Armie Hammer as Simon Doyle so let's let's talk about it
1: Allegedly, allegedly, uh, allegedly it stars I, Army. <laughs> Hammer. I just
0: want to put in a note here that everything about Army Hammer is allegedly. We don't know anything about Army Hammer except that he is an I mean, aspiring cannibal. Allegedly,
1: according to uh, according to the trailers, he wasn't even in the movie. So. <laughs> I
0: know they have removed him to every degree that they possibly can, except for the fact that he is one of the stars of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. So uh, thoughts. Give me. I mean, let's just start with thoughts. You saw this movie. You loved it. I know you saw it in theaters. Is that correct?
1: I sure did. I went with my friend John, and it was. I think Hi, it was John. my first movie in theater. Hi, John. <laughs> he really wanted me to. him. Um, my friend John, and uh, it was. I think it was the first movie I saw in theaters since 2020.
0: Oh wow! So the, yeah, this and it was, was like worth your, it.
1: Your...
0: <laughs> Your big pandemic outing. Like, we're going to go see the movie. Big night out. Amazing.
1: You know, I snuck in alcohol. <laughs> I mean, this movie can only be um, enjoyed if you are imbibing oh, in yeah. whatever you happen to want to imbibe in. But right. it, it definitely enhanced the experience.
0: You need a gimlet in hand for the entirety of this film.
1: Uh, or a glass of champagne. Or you a know, glass enough of to fill the Nile. <laughs> I know
0: that you just throw right into the Nile or into the seat next to you, whatever works one of the least convincing motions of that film in a film that didn't convince me about almost anything truly um so I, so you I, saw, yeah.
1: every action every action just like no one felt committed to it even <laughs> that one
0: but you know when they did feel committed and i have this in my notes in so many points of my notes that i have to talk about it is the dancing and when uh, Gal Gadot and Army Hammer are making out and about to have sex on the boulders. And it is so hypersexual. It is so pornographic. I don't why? understand movie so horny. Why, why are they so horny? Agatha Christie books are not horny. They are so many things, and not horny is just like top of the list. And I just felt like it was an Army Hammer acting choice. I just felt like he was like, we're gonna make this gross.
1: Like, yeah, if I'm in it, th- this is in my contract. I have to make it a little bit creepy. <laughs> yeah. I have to make it like, I have to make somebody in the theater feel very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I was really surprised there wasn't like more toe work. That's what it felt like he was going towards. Do you know what I mean?
1: Some toe work? Yeah, like just
0: like, just, yeah, like toe stuff. <laughs> That's what it felt was like. Was he going to eat the
1: toe? Yeah, allegedly?
0: allegedly, I think maybe. That's just where it felt like it was yeah. going to me. I don't know.
1: I mean, I thought I was going a lot of places. I really thought I was <laughs> yeah. about to see, like, a sex scene in a Disney movie. Right. And I was like, Is he, are they about to fuck right on those rocks? And nobody, maybe in the 90s, nobody moves like that, how they moved, mm-hmm. how they were, like, humping. Like, nobody does that. That looked awkward.
0: I actually really <laughs> Like, it wasn't Duncan. hot. When they were dancing and she, like, crawls under his legs. That, for uh, me, I was like, okay, this one, is not a dance move. This is, she is just like, it's like a bridge and tunnel scenario. Like, I don't know what's happening.
1: This, this is what children do. Also, get off the floor. Like, <laughs> it's know. a club. Like, you what is going on there? You are a dirty club dance
0: floor. I know. It was so bizarre. And Poro was, like, watching, twirling his mustache. The whole thing was very weird. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Everyone had to be a little bit of a pervert in this movie.
0: <laughs> well, they really made it work. Everyone was.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a degree, uh, there was a d- degree in each, each single person.
0: Do you think that was a, a way of making the movie seem more modern?
1: Absolutely. I think that Kenneth was like, okay, what's going to get people, what's, what's, what's going to get people in the theater? And he thought <laughs> the age old sex
0: that right. sells. sells. He baby. was like,
1: I'm in, yeah, I'm in marketing in 1975, and what sells? But and like (laughs) that's
0: what he did yeah it was a real madman scenario and it it didn't work no it did not work because it really he was like i'm gone (laughs) i well i just feel but they also didn't use it as a marketing tool right like you it's not like any of the trailer had that element of it so it felt like quite a surprise to me when i opened disney plus and started watching my film and the first thing i see is army hammer like just gyrating in such a way that I felt like physically disturbed
1: oh yeah I mean I based on the trailers I really thought this was a kid's movie yeah and was a perfectly fine seeing in theaters like whatever I've seen a kid's movie in theaters before but when I got in that theater and not only was there like it was very raunchy there was a lot of like sexual innuendos there was also like a war theme or yeah. flashbacks. that started with the war where I was like oh Wait, this is not. This is decidedly not a children's film. This is. I don't know who this film is for besides me.
0: So you thought you were going to a child's murder film?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. Like Just like checking. a
1: Disney death, like right. you know, like Disney death. you know. I think like it was like it was filmed like a Marvel film, and mm-hmm. Marvel films mm-hmm. are for children. Yeah. Like you know, at the end of the day, Star Wars is. And like, it was filmed like these modern day you know, Marvel, Star Wars, Disney properties, yeah. where they're all filmed exactly the same way. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like, this is, this is made for children. And mm. this was not made for children. If you brought your child, get them <laughs> know,
0: Get your child therapy immediately. Yeah, they are upset now. I know, I agree. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> you were upset. No, I, I do think, I mean, I Agatha I Christie, most people who read her start when they're quite young. So I do think that there's an element of that. It is it's very sanitized death. The murders are always quite bloodless, quite gore free. Um, they don't they're not focused on for very long. So I do think there is an element of perhaps not children's literature to it, but young adult for sure.
1: Right. I think like it's hard. I mean, maybe like how to adapt like it's something that feels like a cozy time mystery mm-hmm. like for adults when it is made for adults, but for like comfort yes you know i felt very comforted by this like even though there was mysteries there were stakes there was drama i still felt very comforted and like how do you translate that to you know a 2022 theater like do people want to be comforted as they're watching which should be a mystery a thriller etc like i think that is like what's difficult of these adaptations
0: well i mean i would point to a film like gosford park that does it really beautifully Mm -hmm. um Or you know any of the like Midsummer Murders, Poirot, Marple, ITV, BBC television um, shows—they do that really well. Um, You know, you have these Midsummer has like a murder every five seconds, and yet people still are buying property left and right. You know, it's it's kind of an interesting conundrum with these types of. Um, like, this media that is constantly having murder, but it's, like, very charming and comforting. And I think her books are really right. one of the progenitors of that feeling. Um, but you're right that the film doesn't really recreate that coziness. Mm-hmm. And do you, th- do you no. think they were trying to?
1: No. And, uh, you know, uh, to be completely transparent, I haven't seen any of the – I haven't seen Murder on the Oregon Express yeah. or, you know – Uh, You're good, you're good. I don't, yeah, thank you. I mean, hey, well, now that I know about all these other adaptations with also casts, I'm going to have to dive back into uh, Gotham the Nile. But I don't think they were trying. I think they were trying to make a summer blockbuster. And I'm not going to like say that Kenneth Branagh like has no respect for Agatha Christie, but, or, you know, her her work, but it just really, it it felt like they didn't even want to adapt the book at the end of the day.
0: Why don't we, let's do a little bit of a rewind. Could you give us what you would say as a synopsis of Death on the Nile? The book.
1: Okay. I would say that this book is about the worst summer vacation ever. (laughs) Um, Crow is taking, Crow is taking a vacation. He's living his life, you know, and a a little vacation to, to Egypt and then some like rich, whiny, really awful woman in my personal p- uh, opinion named Lynette um who, who stole her best friend's fiance and fully married him uh, anyway her and her fiance are on a honeymoon but her former best friend Jackie keeps like sneaking up on them which I feel like they should have been like more worried about like how she was finding them <laughs> right. it's not like they had like find my friends or air tags back then so <laughs> I was, like that should be the first clue that something is a little bit weird here right. I don't know. Um, but, uh, is like, I can't help you guys. She hasn't done anything wrong besides, like, having a very anxious attachment style, apparently. (laughs) And somehow he ends up on a boat on the Nile with all of them, and he famously hates both. Um... There's a bunch of colorful characters on this boat, like an adult man who is randomly traveling with his mother, um, something to unpack there, more more therapy. Um, there's an old woman who is a klepto, which is an aesthetic I love. Um, definitely more of that is novels, mm-hmm. old women who do steal things just for no reason. I yeah. um, And anyway, there's a lot of attention, there's a lot of champagne, enough to fill the Nile. Um, what what happened? Uh, can I do spoilers? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. These books can no longer be spoiled. You, you go for it. Great. Yeah. Great. Um, I mean,
1: Jackie continues to be Jackie, super obsessive. She shoots her ex in the leg, which, yes, I support women's rights, and I also support women's rights. Um, <laughs> And then Lynette, her best friend, who, again, who stole her fiancé and then married him, is dead, ends mm. up dead, shot in the head. Um totally. yeah. And Perot is like running around trying to figure out this murder while bodies are being stacked and like a necklace also goes missing, which actually was like a little bit more of the more interesting mystery in this book, I will say. Um, there's a million twists and turns. And um, what else happens? Um, old ladies die, which is awful. And I think that like the main twist and turn is Jackie and uh, Simon are like full Bonnie and Clyde. And have orchestrated this whole thing to get Lynette's money. And then they kill themselves. Um, or, well, Jackie killed him and then she killed herself. Which is romantic. I don't know. But that's the whole book in and of itself.
0: That was definitely the cliff notes that Kenneth Branagh used to create this film, I feel
1: like. Oh, wait. Did you not know that I wrote the movie,
0: actually? <laughs> Um, that was amazing. You you said everything exactly right. That is exactly how it happened. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a mystery that takes place on a boat. Um, I will say when you spoke a little bit at the beginning about how he's on this vacation just trying to live his life, this is actually one of the tropes of Poirot, which is that whenever he's on holiday, a murder happens and he has to solve it. Um, and it's kind of, oh, man. yeah, and he kind of is just like, when am I going to get five minutes and he he never does he never does so um it's one of the jokes really of the whole series yeah um
1: but i'll have to learn to like that because that makes me sad right but...
0: <laughs> well it actually is it provides a i think a great tension at the beginning of all of the books because he it doesn't happen in every single book but in a lot of them he's like i just can't i just sit on the beach for five minutes before someone gets murdered and um you know, I mean, even from the beginning of the books, he's retired. So the whole the whole of Poirot's oeuvre takes place with him as a retired character. Um, oh, yeah. Cool. So it's he, he was a Belgian detective. He becomes a private detective and he kind of decides, like, I'll be a private detective, but I'm only going to take cases that are interesting to me. I'm not really wanting to do more cases anymore. Um, and people just keep getting murdered wherever he goes.
1: Okay, maybe he needs to figure that part out. Maybe he's causing the murders or something. Is there a supernatural element somewhere here?
0: There isn't, but I will say when you get to the final book, which is called Curtain, something about that does kind of get wrapped up, which is really interesting and um, is a really great twist on the whole – his whole canon is totally twisted in that last book, and it's so, so brilliant, and I really recommend that one. It's called Curtain Poirot's Last Case. So. I'll make a note
1: for that. I feel like if, like, the creator of Riverdale ever got a hold of the, this IP, he would be like, yeah, and also Perot is the horseman of death, and we're going to find that out in the last season. Yeah,
0: exactly. And he's also, like, like died 25 years ago, but somehow is still but, here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and he looks 16, but he's played by <laughs> a 30-year-old.
0: Right, he's played by, like, what's his name, K.J. Appa or something? He's, like, ing- yeah. Just, like, the least redheaded person they could have found to play the most redheaded character of all time. It's, like, very upsetting to me. I'm actually a huge Archie fan as well. I'm, like, still subscribed to the comics. I'm still subscribed to the comics now. Like, the Fiona Uh, Staples version. Do you read it? It's really good.
1: Yeah. No, I haven't read Archie in so long, but I may sit, sit at the supermarket and just read
0: Archie comics all day long. Amazing. That sounds like the best use of time at a supermarket.
1: Um, <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah.
0: So, okay, so you've given us a great synopsis. Now, in terms of that versus what you watched on film, what were the glaring differences that you saw?
1: Um. Well, as I mentioned earlier, earlier um, in our in our conversation, the lack of race, uh yeah. Colonel Race. Like that is a huge omission. They replaced him with Boop. Book? Yep. Boop. 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 <laughs> um cool. I think it is a great character. Um, but I think now that I've read the book it's like, oh huge omission. And there were a few other um character swaps. And that's like one of the bigger, like more like uh, glaring aesthetic changes. Um, you know, we have Who's new? Who's new? I'm looking at a character list actually. Um
0: who's like who's in Like Letitia Wright's
1: character Wright yeah. yeah.
0: Well no, so Letitia Wright's character, Rosalie Otterborn, is in the book, but she is yeah. she is the daughter of Salome Otterborn and she's also not like Salome is not um a musician, she's a writer.
1: She's a writer, right. Was well, she an Agatha Christie like it at all. Do you think Agatha Christie like wrote herself in just a little bit with
0: that? No, I don't because Agatha Christie does that a lot with other characters and Salome, she clearly hates. Um, maybe that's okay. another writer that she didn't like. I think the drunk writer trope is probably what she was going for. Um, but there are other characters throughout her canon who are like meant to be a little bit of Agatha. Um, and she does that as a way to put up a bit of a wall between herself and the reader um, she's never really putting herself into the books. She's pretty consistent with that, which is quite f- amazing, I think, because to write 66 novels and never really put yourself in one of them is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, and now it's all self-insert. I used to write fan fiction. I know.
0: You did? <laughs> um, we'll talk. We'll talk about Oh,
1: my fiction. God. Yeah. I mean, I was a big time. Yeah. What did you Don't write for? Don't ever look up my I was a big time um, Buffy fanfic writer.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, this podcast is years, and years, and years. To a Buffy fanfic podcast.
1: I, if you if anyone ever finds like my Buffy fanfic, I will pass <laughs> away. Um, Amazing! I will say a plot point that did get yeah. not adapted out, just switched out. That to me again is very upsetting. To me is um, the 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 stolen necklace. It's not yeah. by stolen by an old woman. I agree. Which again let old women steal right they've been, they've been here long enough I think it's so funny that she just like wakes up in the middle of the night and if nobody's watching her she just goes off and like steal stuff I like yeah. that
0: yeah and it's a much gentler and funnier version than when they put in the movie which is she's ashamed of being a lesbian um so right. you know for that to be the switcheroo of her character felt very strange very out of place and um it didn't like add to the plot in any way, whereas this, the theft actually added to the plot because it added a layer of they were trying to figure out what was going on with this necklace and this old lady had taken it, kind of like puttering around in the night. Um, and, you know, as we spoke about earlier, there's no reason she couldn't have been a kleptomaniac lesbian. They didn't have to take out the kleptomania part.
1: Gay people do crime right? all the time. And we should laugh them.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know... What? Let them do crimes. I like how we
1: how in the book actress Christie allowed women to be awful people, whereas in the movie that no. Right. It, that wasn't allowed. Right. Which I was like, what? I mean the the, the, the changes to Lynette from book to movie mm. is astounding to me.
0: Yeah, talk about that. Talk about that.
1: I mean in the book, I mean she is very much not only like like not only does she observe it herself like everyone else does like how she is self-centered she's selfish she um it's classist like she is not the nicest person and um in the movie she's just gal gadot (laughs) gal gadot the flattest character alive and you know i think there's like one moment she just seems like an extravagant person in the in the movie whereas in the book she's extravagant but She's like not nice to anyone.
0: Yeah, she's. And I I think
1: that that, that's okay.
0: Well, she's she's got a character. She's got layers. She's a little bit complex. She's very good at business, for example. Um, Right. You know, her friends are always telling her how practical she is and how she's never been romantic in her life. And then she meets this man and all of a sudden she just can't keep her hands off of him. She's so taken with him. Um, So she is given a little bit of complexity in the book that she is not offered in the film. And part of that, I'm sure, has to do with the amount of time you have in a film. But I feel like writing complexity into a character is kind of what you do in film. Um, And it's already there for you in the the text.
1: Yeah, especially the character whose death is the titular death of the Nile, Right. And we should care about that death we, yeah. should, we should care about this character when they die right. and what you know I ended up caring for several characters in the book whereas in the movie like you know again I ha- I do have to keep like reiterating I do love this movie a lot yeah. I think yeah. it's I think it's fun like I don't care about like a single person right. like I mean except for Jackie who again that also carries into the book how much I like the character Jackie and just like how Emma Emma Mackey plays her in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. But other than that, any any one of them could have died. I would have been like, all right, great. Yeah. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who
1: can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really
0: was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, see ya. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. But so, but let's talk about your love of the movie because I'm so fascinated by how much you love this movie, and you really do. It's not ironic. You you liked and enjoyed this movie. Tell me about it. Tell me why you loved it so much. I mean, very plainly, it's camp.
1: This movie mm. is camp to its very core. Okay. Um, this is such a, a straight adaption or what wants to be a straight adaption of this book um, with just some blockbuster flair, but just comes off like the most insane thing I've ever, like, vi- like visual thing I've ever seen in my entire yeah. life. Like, there are so many moments of, like, that is not supposed to be funny. Right. And it is. And these funny moments are not funny at all. Right. And I don't think it's bad. Like, you know, I don't, like, I, I don't think it's intentionally the way it it is. I just think that it's just a group of, you know, kind of, not, uh, a group of people came together and nobody said no. And then all <laughs> this is what was the result one. There was, like, no one, no one told Kevin Branagh. Like, actually, I don't think. No, he just yeah. did it, and everyone said yes, and everyone agreed. We must erase the imagined video and replace it with something different, like Sal Fidal. Is it it's too late? <laughs> and this is what we got.
0: <laughs> wow, you think that this was just a campaign to get that video out of people's I heads? Do. You know I what? It do. worked because I we're sitting do. here talking about this movie and not that video.
1: When's the last time anyone brought up the Imagine video? Mission no one. When's the last time someone brought up Death in the Nile?
0: Today. Today. Still talking about it currently. Um, that's such a great point. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I hear what you're saying. I do think it's camp. Do you think if you saw the movie without having read the book, and it wasn't even related to a book, is it still camp? Yeah. Okay.
1: Because, you know, I didn't, I knew this was based on a book, and yeah. I obviously had, heard as Agatha Christie I, but I've never you know I saw the movie before I saw the book I still think it would be camp yeah. like I am this is like a larger conversation on cinema in general but like I am a person who like I enjoyed that film mm. or like quote unquote bad film yeah, like same. I don't think that every movie needs to be an A24 film I think that there is space for I, I think there's space and value for shitty things and we can enjoy shitty things and yeah. be okay with that oh, yeah. I, you know?
0: I agree with you and I also think there's room for people to just try and fail
1: Absolutely. <laughs> not a, like a 200 million dollar attempt
0: yeah I mean I would prefer to like if I could get that money instead just to have it would have been better for yeah. me personally but I do think it gave us something um, everyone tried their best you know the costumes were great Um, Anything that brings Agatha Christie to the fore for me is a win because people are talking about her again and people are wanting to adapt her work again and people are wanting to read her work again. So that's great. Um, You know, I think you're right. There's space for everything, including Death on the Nile.
1: I agree. I mean, I think everyone should hold some space in my
0: heart for this movie but more so the book more so the book yeah I, i mean if we're talking about quality i think the book i prefer the book um i do think the 1978 film is actually a really a really good one and worth watching and is a good film um and the Suchet, of course is excellent because everything he does is excellent but um one of the ways i think that that they are trying to modernize agatha christie's in general and perhaps just older works is by bringing people of color into roles within, like, this this adaptation, for example. Um, I think that was their attempt at kind of modernizing and representational, like, equity. Do you feel like that was a success here?
1: Uh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean,
1: do I think it's... Great, yeah, yeah, but do I think it? I think it was a sloppy execution, yeah. um, and just sort of like, all right, we're addressing that yeah, and it sort of, you know, since our the last time we spoke, I did like watch the movie again, right? Um, that's, that's twice this month I've watched the movie. <laughs>
0: oh my god! But um, You're a hero, a hero <laughs> amongst us.
1: I'll do it only for you, um, but you know the the, the execution sloppy. It's yeah. very much like, hey, at the we know what you guys thought. See how we're doing this. We are we are making sure that we are addressing these things that was, everyone was concerned about, mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know, it's not enough. It's something, but it's like not enough. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if there is a right way to make those changes, mm-hmm. or maybe just somebody with uh, not kind of front as like unchallenged maybe it needs somebody with a little bit more nuance.
0: Right. No, I think I think that is the trouble with it is it's done in a unlayered, unnuanced way. And what it seemed like to me was they threw in one line for each situation where each. it was meant to mm. explain the whole of the issue. So, you know, the cousin who is like a dark-skinned Indian man um just goes has one line about like Do you think they were going to come in here and see a dark skinned man and X, Y, Z? And like that is the only reference to his race, to that he might be treated any differently. Um, He doesn't seem to like have any thoughts on that afterwards or before. Um, It's a very strange handling of like a very complex thing. Um, and, And I think it's made more complex by the fact that this is ultimately at its heart a very colonial book and a very colonial story. Um, and and Agatha Christie had a colonial mind. The tour that she went on to tour Egypt was called the Empire Tour. She went with her husband on something called the Empire Tour, where they went around to different Commonwealth countries, <laughs> you know, and and um, visited them. And it was part of like this big thing that she, you know, he was working on it, but she she kind of came along with him as like his wife and his social proxy um and she loved it and took a lot of inspiration for a lot of her books but i think we can all agree that what they were what they were seeing and what they were doing was a reflection of the colonial mindset of the uk at that time and and i think to a degree today of course obviously the uk is a different place now but you know things things linger and um i don't know that you can work that out of the plot of this book because it's about a group of people who go on a tour of the Nile River um, like a bunch of British people who go on a tour of the Nile River so I don't yeah. know how you work that out of the script I don't, I don't think it's possible what do you think
1: I agree I don't like it I don't think it is possible and I, I will say it's like it's obviously not something I want to see on my screen like mm. uh, the the little boys at the ruins or the way that uh, you know race um asian people at some point in the book yeah um i don't want to see that on my screen wow. um but i think there is a way there is probably a way to address i mean again I, I, it's 1937 as the only uh conversation about race was in passing right. um not that like everybody in 1937 was constantly talking about how racist they were or how, <laughs> <Right>. but <laughs> probably not but like i am like i i there must there must be be you know, a like maybe my mind I'm not smart enough to figure it out but someone must be smart enough to figure it out how to address it not and not like you know just like not like put a band-aid on it I don't want a band-aid on it mm. but like I also don't want a huge heavy-handed like we know this is wrong
0: right we know this is, you know yeah and I also what always gets me about that kind of adaptation of it and the kind of sanitizing of it is then you, what you never get to see is the white characters having like negative interactions and actually expressing the things that they probably would have thought at that time in a way that as the mm-hmm. viewer, you can be like, oh, not only are they thinking this, but it's like it's bad, it's negative, it like the interaction is like a toxic one. And we can see that play out. Um And I I guess I don't know how you do that either. Like, as I'm not talented enough (laughs) to think of it at this moment, perhaps if you and I teamed up, like our two beans of talent would become a bigger bean. Yeah. I think so. Maybe. I agree. (laughs) But, you know, I just think that there's a way to handle it. There's like a show don't tell way to handle it. Um, And absolutely. And this film is a tell don't show type of film. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I definitely feel like, yeah, you bringing up the fact that, like, not a single one of these white people was, like, outwardly racist to anyone. Right. It's like, that's not how it would work out. Right. Like, it, it, the, Gal's friend didn't just, shouldn't have to, like, have the, like, only 15 non-racist white people <laughs> as friends on the boat with her. Like one of them has to be awful and say some awful shit.
0: A hundred percent. But just to that point, none of those people were her friends, which I found to be one of the wildest elements of
1: oh, right.
0: of the the film. How they, Because this isn't part of the book, but the way they structured in the film is that her husband organized a party for their honeymoon where they all go on this riverboat together. But it's all people who hate her. And she paid for it, and for some reason, she was like, "Let me see the guest list, honey." Oh, great! It's all people who probably want me dead, at least a little bit. Um, let me book the riverboat. It's very strange.
1: It is strange, and not what a weird honeymoon. It's <laughs> yeah. I don't want to spend uh, my honeymoon with a bunch of people in general. Right? Not that I'm close to being married, but I don't think I would want, like. Can ever leave me alone? Also, like this detective. Can he can I don't need him here.
0: No, we don't need him here. And and it comes out later that he's been asked by Book's mother to because Book is his friend in the context of the film. Yeah. Book is a made-up character. He's like an amalgamation of Race and Tim Allerton from the book. Um, but in the in the context of the film, he's Poirot's friend, and Poirot has been asked to come and investigate. Rosalie Otterborn, who's played by Letitia Wright, um, because they are in love. And his mother doesn't like her. And I hated this part of the film. I hated it because it is not not—it is not something Poirot would have done. He would never mm-hmm. trick a friend, investigate his friend's lover, not tell him, and do it for money because of a mother's request, he just wouldn't do it. He's a very loyal person; it's one of his key qualities. He really wouldn't, um, and I hated that they made him do that because it was such a clownish um, kind of reveal of that whole that whole subplot. Um, it was it was one of the parts of the movie movie that actually bothered me because I can enjoy a good camp film, but I yeah. I do love Poirot as a character. I like really deeply love him, and I feel I've read so many, I've read every book he's ever been in, and I feel that I understand who he is as a character to the degree that I, you know, I didn't write him, but at the, to the degree that I can understand him, I think I do. And he's got an incredible psychology to him and he's got an incredible completeness to him. And I felt that this version was a series of eccentricities, a mustache, and an accent. And mm-hmm. um, that's not who Poirot is. Those are kind of the, that would be like the, you know, if, you kind of dunked everything underwater. Those things might be the ones that float up to the top, but they're not who the character is. Um, so I was wondering, after reading the book and seeing Poirot as a fuller character, how did you feel about him in the film?
1: I mean, you know, I know we met, we talked about this before, but this like distilled version of him is just a three stooge like he he is simply a clown, um, and. Uh, in a way that like isn't funny and doesn't make him feel like the main character yeah. where in the book, you know, this was, you know, well, he was always just like a figure that was there that like is consistent and reliable, yeah. like throughout the entire book, somebody that I can continue to turn to. And, um, this in the movie, it just really felt like he was there for comedic relief. And mm. he like the whole thing with, um, him taking Rosalie's Ledger was just something that I, you know, I've only read this one book with pro. But like, it's just, just something that I feel like he wouldn't have done in the book.
0: No, I agree. It, 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 like,
1: it, it, he like tricked her. He like lied in like this very odd way. And like, it it, 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 it didn't take me out of the movie because he was consistent with in his character in the movie. Yeah. Something that he would do. So these like, sleight of hand, um, you know, like, master of like, reveals. Whereas you know there are parts of there's parts of him in the book that's similar, like at the very end, mm-hmm. um, with you know Jackie Jackie and the Second Gun, but uh, it just I get it, it's this showmanship that I don't necessarily felt like mm. was true to the character, and just also came off like this isn't a, even like a relatable character because it, yeah. it was so, he was just so flat and just like you were right, just like these series, like just a series of different like. Comedic parts just yeah, like mush together and like pass out. Yeah.
0: yeah, I agree. And and it almost felt like maybe they read one or two poros before adapting this, as opposed to kind of all of them, because there are like he does lie. One of the things he will do is is lie in order to get people to tell him things. He's very unscrupulous in that sense when it comes to solving a murder, but he would never do it to hurt a friend. So there's kind of, there's nuance to it, I think. And he also is, he's very egotistical. It's one of the things that Christy writes about a lot is like the size of his ego. He wants people to know who he is um, because he's very famous um, and was famous at a different time and kind of like his, his star is descending a little bit and that bothers him. Um, so he does these grand reveals where everyone has to come into the room and he tells the whole story, but that whole scene where he like fires the gun and locks the door was so kind of over the top Um, and again is just like one step removed from what he really would do in a way that made it just feel as you said flat um, to me so yeah there was an element of it for me where I just felt there was a sadness for me because I love Poirot so much and these these movies are so popular and so many people are seeing them and I, I felt protective. I felt like I don't want people to see yeah. my Poirot this way. I know that's so silly because it's like, well, there's 66, like there's 33 Poirot, Poirot books. Go read one of them, you know. It doesn't, the movie doesn't change that. But, um, yeah, there was a part of me that, like, I don't know, It it needled me a little bit.
1: Totally. And I think, like, beyond personal feelings towards it, like, you, the main character of your movie should be right. how you have described her out coming to the book, but fully developed. Yeah. And it should be somebody who, like, is consistent and is, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be likable, but charming. Yeah. And uh, someone that you want to watch. And yeah. he just didn't seem like the lead of this film. Yeah, he I might agree. have been in 75% of the movie and had, you know, maybe like, seven too many flashbacks, but he didn't feel like silly. Yeah. No and, one felt like silly. It felt like a bunch of improv students <laughs> in, a, in a black box just trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I will say I thought in terms of ch- like closeness to the text in the film, I thought Emma McKay did a really great job as Jacqueline de Belfort. Um, I thought she read the book. It felt that way to me <laughs> mm-hmm. that she really got that character and that she was really trying to, to bring out a lot of the conflicting emotion that Jacqueline has throughout the book. Um, and, it, and she's a complicated character, and I think she played that really well. And, the, and everyone else um, was kind of underused, I felt, because you do have this incredible cast here. I mean, Jennifer Saunders, Annette Benning, you know, these are not kind of whatever types of actors. These are incredibly talented people. And to have Jennifer Saunders in a film and not tell a single joke... I mean, that's criminal to me. Criminal. criminal. Yeah, that's a hate crime <laughs> to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean the whole. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think this is like. I mean, it sounds like every small like adaptation of this book tends to have like a stacked cast. Yeah. This is also very stacked cast, and of, like people from like you're saying many different genres of film and television. All brought together to play more or less the same character. Yeah. Where not using a single actor strength. And yes, I totally agree. Emma Mackey's portrayal of, of Jackie was very good, so layered and nuanced. Yeah. That uh, such an easy role to completely fuck up. I
0: agree. And,
1: you know, I, I do not want to give Kenneth an ounce of, <laughs> of that credit <laughs> right. for, you know, writing that character because she was very true to how. I read how Jackie came off the page to me, yeah. and maybe because I was informed by the movie, mm. but you know, I it, that that it, that trope of character that that kind of woman in a movie could so easily be twisted in so many different ways. But it, it did come off just like cool. I I like watching this. This is such a complicated storyline.
0: Yeah, and and what she does a great job of is the the character in the book is she is the villain, but she's also very likable. And there are parts of the book where you're really rooting for her. And I think even to, yeah. at the end, you're kind of rooting for her. And in the book, Poirot is really rooting for her. I mean, and this is something that he does throughout his cases, which is that he is not very judgmental about, t- typically about the people who are the villains, but he also will warn people. He When he sees something is kind of in motion, he will say like, you can stop this. You can take a step back. You can take a deep breath. And he, he he does that throughout the books. And he does that in this case. And she kind of has this reaction of like, no, it's in motion. I have to keep going. Um, and you're not sure if they're talking about the same thing, really. And then obviously, as it comes to its conclusion, you realize that they are, um, at least at the end. But I, I love that she played it that way because as you say it would be so easy to just be like the scorned woman to be like the crazy lady um, and she doesn't play it that way she really plays it with a lot of pathos and a lot of uh charm I think
1: agreed there was a just yeah there you could tell there was like a need like, like in, the, in the way that she describes in the book it mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost like animalistic also like yeah accuracycray has something about Describing these people as cats or felines, yes, <laughs> a lot. She, yes. she did it three times in this book for three different people. I was like, "Who are these? Just cat people?" But yeah,
0: this was um, the inspiration for the movie Cats. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. uh, terrifying. Yeah. Ne-
1: you know what? Never saw that one, but maybe I will. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I did. There was just like a lot of that that wanted that. Like I can't control this. Mm-hmm. Came from like page to screen very well.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. And, uh, and the last part, that, which is something that uh, you know, I wonder if you have thoughts about, is kind of his origin story in the film, which does not appear in the book and does not appear in any book that Agatha Christie has ever written. But they've written him as a war veteran, which he canonically was not, um, who got blasted apart on a bridge and grew a mustache to hide his deformed face. Because his fiancee mm-hmm. told him to do so. And when he begs her to come back to visit him, she is also blown to bits by a bomb on a bridge. And then he can never love another woman again. Now, I will say that he is celibate. Um, he, there is one woman in his life he occasionally talks about. Her name is the Countess Vera Rosikoff. And they never consummate a relationship, he's just charmed by her glamour. Um, but he does not engage in romantic relationships or sexual relationships at all. Um, and so for that to be the origin story that they put in, again, was like so shocking to me because it was so unnecessary. It was such an unnecessary addition to his character. And I, what do you think it was kind of like a sympathy bid or like, this is why he has that crazy mustache. Like, I don't really get why they put it in.
1: I have to. If I can be the most craft I have ever, I've been on this podcast so far. <laughs> I think they realize you can't have a main character who doesn't fuck. <laughs> you know, like you can't, you can't you can't have a main character who hasn't. You can't imagine like that. You can't even fathom the idea of them having sex. Yeah, like I know that's like such a crazy thing. I truly no. believe that yeah. that's that's what they no, felt no. Like. like. He had to have.
0: Yeah, Yeah. film writing students, you or heard a it here first. You cannot have a main character <laughs> who doesn't fuck.
1: Who doesn't yeah. fuck? Yeah. If, if they don't fuck, give them off the screen. And that is <laughs> the site I feel like we're being told constantly.
0: I love that it, Disney it, took that on as, like, its ethos.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah they were like, listen, we love the movie that <laughs> but did. Harrell fuck. Because <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't, let's, like... Hey, if he, it kind of makes sense. They just kind of shoehorned it in, like, in flashbacks that, he, like, he's probably had sex before. So, like, I'm just <laughs> saying, I think that there, this happened in Rishu.
0: I think it could be totally... It's, like, all AR, you know? It's, like, totally... Yeah, just just added in. I think you might be right. Yeah. That Well, I think... I, I will give a slightly less crude, but, like, in the same vein answer, <laughs> which is, I think that they wanted to make him relatable. Like, I think they couldn't they didn't want to have a character who didn't have the ability to have a romantic interaction because then later on with Salome Otterborn they have that kind of whole will they won't they they won't by the way but kind of interaction where you know she's kind of flirting with him and he gets very awkward about it um In the book, if a woman was flirting with him, he would have enjoyed it immensely and he would have been incredibly charming back. It happens in the books. And he enjoys it and he has fun with it and um, that's it. There's no no follow through to it. But he's incredibly charming and he's incredibly good with women actually in the book. And then the film, they make him this like awkward weirdo who the minute a beautiful woman looks at him, he starts like giggling. It's very strange. Yeah um so and I, were, I think no. in our
1: our i think like in our pre-conversation i described him as monk from the show monk, yes, yes um which i really think they were just like tony shalhoub
0: on my screen
1: let's do it again
0: <laughs> which i loved monk it was super fun and cute characters Ooh, welcome it. do you know what i mean like characters are welcome but i just yeah Do the same at work yeah but um but, but not for Poirot. He's his own character. I mean, Monk Monk is a great iconic character. So is Poirot. Why change it? Um, I agree. Yeah. And
1: I, I think the way that you described how he flirts and enjoys it, but there's no follow through, is a much more interesting character trait than somebody who whose lover died and can never love again. Right. You know? Totally. We've had it a million times.
0: I totally agree. And he takes a lot of pleasure in Beauty in general, both men and women's beauty, but in particularly in women's beauty, he often will just talk about if someone comes in and they look very beautiful, he's just very taken with that. And and he does it for both men and for women. Um, so it's such a shame to take that kind of fun element away from him. I agree. Um, so. I'm sure there's going to be a million more Agatha Christie adaptations, right? This is probably the start of the landslide. What do you want the filmmakers to know? What do you think they should be keeping in mind from now on? Do you want more of this stuff on the Nile or do you want a different direction?
1: Half of me wants more Death on the Nile because yeah. I love a summer blockbuster. Sure. But now that I've you know read the novel – Maybe they should read it too. Um, <laughs> I think having somebody in your writer's room who can nail down this this very layered tone that is mm. so integral to this novel working. Yeah, I just want to say that I am the... tech avail
0: for that. By the way, yeah,
1: perfect, yeah. perfect. Okay, <laughs> okay. Let's, the schedule is cleared. Uh,
0: get her on set. But yeah, oh my god, imagine
1: you just being like the tone director, you're on to like no no, we wouldn't do it like this. Poirot would never do that.
0: <laughs> Run it again. I
1: love that. And that's I mean, yeah. I was I would just love to see a more straighted adaptation yeah. of what we got in this book. Yeah. Um, and you know going forward, Kenneth, if you don't mind, read the <laughs> read the goddamn book. Read the book.
0: Yeah. And less army next time. Left I mean, Disney so. hopes so, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so, too. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I also think if you're going to update it and adapt it, do it totally. Really update it. I mean, totally. do 10 Things I Hate About You for Taming the Shrew. Do Clueless for Emma. Do you know what I mean? Make something fun. Yeah. Take the story and totally adapt it because her her plots are wonderful. But I don't want to see, like, a half-assed adaptation. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think it, you know, I know I've only read one book. But I think Agnes' perceived canon deserves the same kind of treatment as Jane Austen's and Shakespeare. Come on!
0: <gasps> oh, you're saying everything I like to hear right now. This is why I'm making this yeah. podcast because I really believe this. This is I. She's not I'm, a perfect person, and I'm just she's like not Parole. a perfect writer. <laughs> you're just like Paro. Yeah, I. But but her canon is worth while, and I'm so glad that you got to see that by first enjoying this campy movie and then getting to see its source material. That's really special. I think.
1: Me too, and I don't think I would have it any other way. Oh, <laughs> I'm very glad it's how I got introed into this world.
0: Oh well, please come back next. What next one they make? Let's just do this again. We'll do keep doing like a re. I'm so
1: I'm so pumped.
0: Amazing, um, Michael. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? Where w- would you like to be found by people, and where can they find you? Yeah,
1: go ahead and find me. Um, you can't <laughs> really Google my name, but um, you can find me at Boy in Question mm-hmm. on every platform available, um, even Be Real. So What's
0: Be Real? Give
1: me a follow, say hi. I, um, it is a platform or a social media platform that is like the anti-social media social media. Huh. And basically at a, a time every single day, everyone on the platform gets a notification and you have to take a front-facing, fo- can- uh, a front-facing picture and a back camera picture at the same time. Just like show like what you're doing at that specific moment. So there's, you can't edit anything. And if you're late posting, it tells people like so-and-so was late posting or like posted at this time instead of this time.
0: So it's like a third grade teacher, but for everybody. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. Uh, everything <laughs> is, you just is, told me uh, is like, up, um, I will immediately forget you just told me that and I have no interest in whatever. What's it called? Be friends? <laughs> no. Be real. Be real. Okay. So go find Michael on Be Real, everybody.
1: Be Real. So be your Please, boy in question, boy
0: in question, on all the platforms. Anything coming up that unfortunately, we should know about? Every every single platform. Um.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I cannot change my username at this point. Um. <laughs> anything coming up? Um. I am working one on one forever, full time with Trina Kerrigan and with Busty Jade. Um. You can find us at. Trina Kerrigan and at fucking date on pretty much every platform. We are ramping up some incredible content coming coming out. We have some great stuff coming up this week. and, um, and that's
0: like a, a dating look at, look at, and dating card game. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's like a dating I would say it's a conversation card game. A
0: conversation card um, game. Um it's Very not cool. just
1: for dating. You can play with friends. It gets a little X rated, but like, mm-hmm. you know what? It's it's a uh, it's not an actionable game, it's a conversation game. So cool. you can talk dirty with your friends.
0: Amazing. I do that anyway. Sounds great. Okay. Exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. This was just the most fun I've had all week. Um, so thanks. Me too. Thank you like. for having me. Such a pleasure. And have a fabulous night.
1: You too. Can't wait to read my next Agatha Christie.
0: I mean, I will give you such a list. You have no idea. Thank you to our producer, Kate Krischel, and our sound engineer, Winter Robinson. If you want to support this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at TN Murder. You can rate and review us on iTunes, and you can tell all your friends and even strangers to follow us on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next episode for A Caribbean Mystery. You can rent it from your local library, buy from your local independent bookseller, or if you need to buy online, we recommend bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores with every purchase. A link for next week's book can be found in the episode notes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tea and Murder. We hope you had a bracing dose of both.